In the Old Testament, God said there shall be seven yearly celebrations. Each feast symbolized and foretold God's plan for the world and the arrival of Christ into history. Celebrating the feast helped people worship God by painting a picture of the coming Messiah. These feasts were an opportunity to acknowledge the goodness of God as the provider. With Jesus at the center, celebrating these feasts leads to a greater understanding and appreciation for the purpose of Christ's death, His resurrection, and the future promise of His return. know about you, but I just love innovation. I absolutely love innovation. There's just something incredibly powerful about a new concept, a breakthrough, some kind of new invention, right? We all love that kind of stuff. And innovation is so incredibly powerful because it takes us places and it shows us things. It lets us accomplish stuff that we couldn't ever do before that breakthrough. And innovation takes like innovators, right? Innovation takes people who think big, step outside of the box, sleep on a cot for the sake of their project, their mission, their endeavor, whatever it is. And aren't you glad that our world is like full of innovators, right? How about these? Like just a sampling, some that we're all pr- pretty familiar with, like right? Thomas Edison, uh, what did he invent? Right, the light bulb, right? Most famous for his invention of the light bulb. How about these guys? I'm just gonna tell you right now, the Wright brothers are studs. They are studs, most famous for designing, building, and flying the first powered aircraft. Like, those guys are rock stars. Benjamin Franklin, discoverer of what? Electricity, right? How about Alexander Bell? What's his claim to fame? Right, the first practical telephone. How about this fellow right here? Yeah, speaking of rock stars. Founder of the Apple Computer Company. And like, if you can just imagine for a moment a world in which Steve and his teammates had not invented the Mac and the iPhone. Can, can you even imagine that kind of world? All we'd have then are PCs and flip phones. And how lame would the world be with just PCs and flip phones? And somebody like, you mean there's something other than a flip phone? Yes. How about this fellow? Yeah. What did he start with his friends? Yeah, a little thing called Facebook, right? This profound innovation that really quickly became one of the greatest time sucks in all of human history. <laughs> if their goal was to rid the world of hours productively spent, like they, they win the prize, grand prize. They take it. Innovation really is amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely changed our lives. I promise it's gonna continue to change our lives. And there's a person, though, who very seldom, if ever, shows up on the list of the world's greatest innovators, but he should. Do you know, you know who I'm talking about? His name is Jesus Christ. And his breakthrough, do you you know what his breakthrough is? Jesus Christ shattered the death barrier. Jesus Christ shattered the death barrier. And by so doing, he forever transformed the eternal existence of anyone who follows him. And Jesus Christ has single-handedly changed the history of the world way too many times and in way too many ways for us even to be able to count. It's astounding, really. If you go back in history to shortly after the very beginning of time, lots of us know how the story goes, right? In the beginning, God created everything, and it was good, really, really good. And at the beginning, God created humans, us, to live in his image, in fellowship with him, in fellowship with one another, in fellowship with our inner selves, in fellowship with creation, even. 
And along came the enemy, his name is Satan, and he tempted the first humans, and they succumbed to the temptation. Darkness and evil at that point in time, that moment in time, entered the story through human sin and are now very, very much a part of our world, aren't they? We walk around in this world, we very much feel it every day. And that devastating event resulted in our relationship with God, others, ourselves, creation being like fractured in desperate need of redeeming. And because of his love, God didn't just abandon his creation, didn't just abandon us to destruction and decay and kind of let it go, but instead he promised to restore this broken world, to bring it back. As part of that plan, God chose a people. The first guy's name was Abraham. Right? And all Abraham's descendants, they later started being called Israel, to represent him in the world. God chose them to represent him in the world. And God promised to bless them as a nation so that through them, every other nation on the face of the earth would be blessed. And God's people, the Israelites, they became enslaved in Egypt. That caused them to cry out to God because they were being oppressed. They were suffering. And well, what do you know? God heard their cry. God set them free, he liberated them from their oppressors, brought them to a place called Sinai, he gave them an identity and a mission as his very own treasured possession, his people. And yet again and again and again, it's like this big vicious cycle all throughout the story of Israel, God refused to give up on his people despite their very frequent acts of unfaithfulness to him. They just did it again and again and God didn't give up, he didn't quit, they came back to him and around the circle it went. But even through all that, there was this expectant remnant of God's chosen people. They were always looking ahead with great expectation, great longing, great hope. And those longings found their fulfillment in the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. The one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, mysteriously, God having become flesh. Whoa. And Jesus Christ came to preach the good news to the poor. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set captives free, proclaiming a brand new arrival of the kingdom of God. And he said, the door's wide open. All of you can come on in. The preliminaries have been taken care of. You can come in to the kingdom of God. And his purpose was to restore our fractured world, to show us what life his way really looks like. He modeled it for us. He walked it out. And yet Jesus and his message were rejected by many, most, actually. Yet his path of suffering and crucifixion and death and burial and rising on that first Easter is still bringing hope and innovation to all of creation. And to this very day, this very moment, Jesus is the only hope for bringing peace and reconciliation between God and us. No other way, no other person. It can't happen any other way. And so through Jesus, those who trust him have been forgiven, have been brought back into right relationship with God the way things are intended and meant to be. And the apostle Paul captures fantastically the reality of Christ's innovation and the hope that he brings in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. Look at what Paul writes. But in fact, it's like, just in case you're wondering, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, period. We're not even going to argue about that. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's true. And he is the first, check this out, of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. 
Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And it's like Paul with a flourish of his pen, he sweeps down and across the centuries and he powerfully declares the ultimate effects because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what it is? For anyone who trusts Christ, for everyone who trusts Christ, their resurrection, your resurrection is tied to his resurrection. Your eventual resurrection is tied to Jesus' resurrection, directly tied to his And the key to what Paul's talking about there is found in this little phrase, the first of a great harvest. And we're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, Paul's looking way back in history. He's referring to the ritual, the feast that was given to Israel in Leviticus chapter 23. Immediately after the feast of Passover, there would have been this offering of the first fruits of the entire barley harvest. And here's how it worked. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, they're commanded by God to bring in a sheaf of grain, this big bundle of the stock and the grain heads. Fire up the combine. God, well, not really, because they didn't have combine. Go, go cut off the first sheaf of barley, the first of the fall grains to ripen, by the way. And I want you to bring that big sheaf, the very first. Don't harvest anything else until you bring the sheaf into me, you hand it to the priest, and the priest stood before the altar before the Lord, and, and, and he would wave it before the Lord. Should we do that together? No, that'd be weird. It's weird enough I'm talking about it, isn't it? And it was this like wave offering before the Lord, this barley, the first fruits of the entire fall grain harvest. And right now, some of you are sitting there going like, um, why does that matter? Right? Why does it matter that the barley was harvested and brought into the priests, this you know, shock of barley and way before the Lord? And why does it matter that Paul talks about Jesus being the first of a, why does it matter? Let me tell you why. When you connect the dots of the chronology of scripture, the very day that God specified for the commemoration of the feast of the first fruits, that's what that was called, the wave offering thing. The very day that God specified for the commemoration of the Feast of the First Fruits is the exact and precise morning of the first Easter. The exact and precise morning that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The first of a great harvest. The first fruits. Which means that contained and built into the feast of the Lord, you have this expectation that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to fall on the exact same day of the first fruits of the harvest, whoa. And not only that, get this, but Paul's telling us that Jesus Christ's resurrection is, see, the innovation, it's the sample, it's just one of many guarantees of the full-on harvest of resurrection that's coming for all of us, for anyone and everyone who trusts Christ for salvation. We're gonna be harvested too. Because Jesus was the first human being, get this, to be raised, to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus was the very first human being to be resurrected from the dead. And some of you are sitting in your chairs right now and your arms are crossed and you're like, hey pastor, I got a little fact check moment here for you. What about Lazarus? What about others whom Jesus raised from the dead? What about Old Testament stories of people being raised from the dead? Great question. Those are all people who, watch this, returned from the dead, but they were not resurrected. They returned from the dead, but they were not 
resurrected. This is really subtle, but resurrection means more than merely coming back to life. There's a pretty marked difference. Remember a few years back, there's a little kid, his name was Colton Burpo, and his dad, Todd, and him wrote a book called Heaven is Free. We read, read this book, great book. And the movie based on that book opens this week. And the book and the film are Colton's, by the way, true story about how he was in emergency surgery, slipped from consciousness. He actually entered heaven. He comes back and he starts talking about everything he saw and experienced, stuff that he had no way of seeing or knowing anything about. Whoa. And that's just one, isn't it, of countless stories in which people, quote unquote, die, then quote unquote, come back to life and tell us what happened. Very often the term resurrection has been used, applied in those stories, but that's not resurrection. That's called resuscitation. That's all that is. It's resuscitation. Why? Because they're coming back to the very same life that they left. Resurrection doesn't work like that. Resurrection brings you to a new quality, to a new dimension of life that you have never lived before. It's not simply a return to an existence as we know it now, but rather it's rising to a higher, more marvelous dimension than you have ever known. And Paul says, look, Jesus Christ was the first to be resurrected from the dead. It was the same Jesus. He came back, yes, to the same body, but he came back to an entirely different plane of living. And Paul says, I gotta tell you something. Jesus' resurrection is the model of your and my eventual resurrection, anyone's eventual resurrection, if you trust Christ. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. The great harvest is the rest of us. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, that's our story, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And that's the rest of the story. That's the new life that God wants to give every single one of us. But see, in order for Jesus to be the first one resurrected from the dead, in order for him to guarantee that everyone who trusts him would be resurrected from the dead, in order for him to make the way for our resurrection, for our new life, what first had to happen I'll give you a clue, it happened on Friday. He had to die. Jesus had to die first because you see the pathway to the resurrected life only comes by way of death. Paul talks about it. By man, a guy named Adam came the break from Eden, booted out of the garden, out of paradise. And so too, by man, his name is Jesus, comes the breakthrough back into paradise, back into the garden by way and only by his way, resurrection. Picture in your mind's eye with me if you can. It's late Good Friday afternoon. The soldiers are busy cleaning up the dead bodies. A couple of nice guys come and they take Jesus' body away. And what's left? Really nothing but the cruel relics of Christ's cruel death, right? There's a few nails on the ground, nails that held, by the way, your and my sin to the cross. A crown of thorns with blood-stained tips of those thorns. 
Blood, by the way, that wasn't just ordinary run-of-the-mill blood. It was the very blood of God himself, wasn't it? And we look on that scene and we think, you know, if it was me, or if it was us who got to choose how it was that God redeemed this world back to himself, it wouldn't have gone like that. The thought of nailing God to a cross, it's almost unfathomable, isn't it? But none of us were invited to draft the playbook for how God redeemed his world back to himself. He does, however, invite us to respond to it. And what's true is that Jesus, he pretty much left it all at the cross, didn't he? For us. He left it all at the cross for us. His love compelled him to offer forgiveness through nail-pierced hands and feet. Pretty much left it all at the cross. His love for us compelled him to promise acceptance through his torn, mutilated flesh. Pretty much left it all. His love for us compelled him to take the path of death so that we could live life his way here and now and be at home with him in heaven someday. Which begs the question, if the cross then is the way to the resurrected life, what is it that Jesus is asking you? And I don't just mean the collective you, I mean like you, individual you. What is it that Jesus is asking you to leave at the cross? What is it that Jesus is asking you to die to? so that you can live the life that Jesus created you to live. Because see, in order for us to live the life that God means for us to live now, as well as the resurrected life with him someday, we're gonna have to experience the death, the personal death of some things that we've been carrying, some stuff that we've been hanging on to real, real tightly. And he's inviting us to respond, which means that he's inviting us to leave our stuff, our sin, at the cross, and we've all got stuff, we've all got sin, right, that needs to be left at the cross. We've all got stuff we've been carrying with us. Sure, some people are better than others at tuning it out or medicating it away or just pretending it's not there. But in order for us to live the life that God means for us to live here and now, as well as the resurrected life with him someday, some things in our life are gonna have to get left at the cross to die. Just on Tuesday, Our oldest son, 19-year-old Silas, he got on a plane and he headed back to his native country of Ethiopia for a three-week walkabout excursion. Silas has been talking about this trip for about six months. I knew it was coming, but I was in extreme denial about this trip. It wasn't that I didn't want him to go. I really did. I actually really wanted to go with him, but my hesitation of the trip was the result of what I knew this trip would represent in his life. I wasn't sure that I wanted him to taste what it was gonna mean for him. And here's what it was gonna mean for him. Death to some things that he's been carrying. Some hurt, some baggage, a whole lot of questions. And it's gonna be a fantastic trip in lots of ways. I talked to him on the phone just this morning. He's giddy. I don't know how else to say it. He's giddy. You can like see his smile through the telephone. He's with friends, friends who he spent the majority of his life with. He's reconnecting with friends who he spent the majority of his life with. He's helping some of his friends who he spent the majority of his life, kids who leave, live unimaginable lives. You just can't imagine. He's eating this stuff called Tibbs and Endura and Dorawat, and he is a fat, happy camper. And at the same time, it's gonna be an incredibly difficult trip Because it's going to mean leaving some things that he's been carrying, hurt, baggage, questions. 
And the only place he can leave it is at the cross. And maybe for some of us today, Jesus is asking us to die like to our bad moments. You ever have one of those? You ever have bad, yeah, I'm the only one? Maybe Jesus is asking us to die to our bad moments, right? We all have those. For others, maybe Jesus is asking us to die to our bad habits, our selfishness, our lies. Maybe you, God's saying, like, just leave it at the cross. He's saying, I want it, all of it. I'll take every single one of them. God says, Jesus died to take every single one of them so that the way of new life and resurrected life could be opened. It can't be opened any other way. We can't live life Jesus' way, carrying them on our backs. But man, we try, don't we? We live, lots of us, in great pain. We don't sleep well. We don't rest well. That makes us really, really touchy. We get offended at the drop of a hat. Maybe some of us need to leave our bad moments at the cross. Maybe others of us, we need to leave our anger at the cross. You ever hear the story about the guy who got bitten by a dog? When he learned from the doctor that the dog had rabies, he's sitting in the doctor's office, this guy, and he starts making this list, and it's a pretty long list. The doctor sees this guy furiously writing on this pad of paper and says, hey, wait a minute, there's there's no need for you to make a will. It's just rabies. It's treatable. You're going to be just fine. We can cure you. The guy says, well, I'm not making a will. I'm making a list of all the people I want to bite. And isn't that just the way that so many people choose to live, right? Like fighting back and biting back, keeping lists, growling at people who upset us. Maybe some others of us, we need to leave our worry, our anxiety, our fretting, whatever you want to call it. We need to leave that at the cross. What about the guy who was talking to his counselor one day? And he says to his counselor, my anxiety, my worry, my fretting, it's actually disturbing my dreams. I'm having these like whacked out dreams. Counselor says, well, tell me about those. He said, well, some nights I dream that I'm a backpacking tent. Other nights, he says, I I dream I'm a circus tent. The counselor is a bright guy, really quickly analyzes the situation. He replies, I know what your problem is. You're two tents. (laughs) That's bad. Last night, there was a lady sitting right about there, and like, she said it loud enough for the whole room to hear, that's really bad. I'm like, yes, ma'am, you are absolutely right. You're too tense. And most of us are. And that's sin. And that's not life God's way. And look at God's promise in response to our sin. This is my covenant. This is God. This is my covenant with them. This is us, that I will take away their sins. God does way more than just forgive our mistakes. He takes them away. All we have to do is take them to him. And maybe today it's time for you to stop pretending that there's not anything wrong. Maybe today it's time to stop pretending that you don't trip and you don't fall and you don't scuff your knee and you don't... Maybe it's time for you to stop pretending and go to the cross. God Because here's what's true. The very first step in living the resurrection life is leaving our stuff at the cross, our sin at the cross. Leave it at the cross. And look what God says. 1 John 1, 9. 
if we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. He says, just bring it to me. Just confess it to me. Just leave it, all of it, every single bit of it, leave it at the cross. And what's true is that Jesus willingly died for you. Like Nobody drugged Jesus kicking and screaming to the cross. He willingly died for you. And he rose from the dead for you. Why? Because he loves you that much. He loves you. And I certainly mean the collective you, but I also mean, maybe more importantly, like the individual you. He loves you that much. He loves you so much that he willingly took upon himself the death that we all deserved. And he rose and he lives victorious over death, hell, and the grave so that we can follow him, our forerunner, into the resurrected life someday and live life his way right here, right now. I'm gonna ask you to take your stuff and set it aside and I'm gonna ask you to move into a posture of prayer and listening to God if you would. You just bow your heads and close your eyes. Right now, Jesus is inviting you. He's knocking on the door of your heart and he's asking you to step into his resurrection life. The life that's only made possible by his rising. If he'd stayed dead, it wouldn't matter. But he didn't, and so it does. He's inviting you to salvation and forgiveness from your sin once and for all. You can be done with it. He's inviting you to come home. He's inviting you to take your place as one of his adopted sons and daughters in the family of God. And if that's you, you can take that bold step of trusting him with your whole heart by praying along with me. I invite you, if that's you, to pray with me. Jesus, yes, I'm a sinner and I need you. There's no other way about it. I need you. And so this is me, Jesus, asking you to occupy my life. This is me, Jesus, gratefully receiving your gift of salvation, which is everything I need. Would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? Please. Jesus, I thank you from the depths of my soul for dying on the cross for my sin, and thank you most of all for rising from the dead. I trust you with my everything, Jesus. Here I am. And if you're someone who's stepping into the saving faith of Jesus Christ today, that's the single biggest deal in your whole life. Nothing matters more. It's such a big deal that when someone steps across the line of faith in Jesus, that's what we call it, stepping across the line of faith in Jesus. And when people do that, we like to acknowledge their decision. And so if you prayed with me just then to step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, would you just right now, would you just be real brave and bold? Would you slip your hand up right where you are, hold them up real high, and lock eyes with me and let me acknowledge your decision. Yeah, you right there, yeah, way to go. And you right there, and you right there. 
you right there. Keep them up, would you please? Just make sure I catch your eye. Yeah. And here, yeah, here and here, two of you. Absolutely. And you, yeah, 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 you guys, yes. And you, yes, absolutely. And all of you, jeez, yeah. You, yeah, yes. New life, the resurrected life right here, right now. Yeah, you right there. Yes, absolutely. Way to go, man. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. You. New life, resurrected life. Yeah, you guys. You guys. Yes. And in the back, yes, absolutely. Yes. And there. One, two, yeah, you guys. Yes. Way to go. New life, resurrected life, yes. There, yes, absolutely, yes. Way to go. And here, yeah, you, yep. And you over there, yes. And you in the, yeah, the dark back, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, yes. And you, and you too, yes. And there, yes, there. Jesus, we just say, wow. Wow that you were willing to die in our place. Wow that you were willing to take all our stuff, all our sin and take it to hell and pay the price, suffer the consequences of my sin, our sin, the collective sin of all of humanity for all of time. And wow, Jesus, that you rose and you live. And wow, Jesus, that all of these today are saying they want to live your new life, your way here and now, as well as the resurrected life someday. They're part of the eventual great harvest now, and we celebrate that. Wow, God. Only you. Only you. And I pray, Jesus, as we walk out this new life, that we would constantly, everything about us, would be telling your story. Everything about our life, everything about our words would be constantly telling your story, inviting others into your new life and your resurrected life. That everything we do and everything we say would point people to you, Jesus. That's our heart. And then there's this. You can look up if you would. I'm going to take you back to that question and I'm going to press you on that question. What is it that Jesus is asking you to leave at the cross? What is it that Jesus is asking you to die to so that you can live the resurrection life that Jesus created you to live? What is it for you? You. It's a cool deal. Whenever one of God's sons or daughters, which is us, by the way, whenever any of God's sons or daughters leaves something at the cross, lays things down, dies to some hurt, some habit, some hang up, it's a really big deal. And it's such a big deal that we're gonna worship and celebrate God for our leaving what needs to be left at the cross today because there's stuff that needs to get left in here and not go out the door with us. 
And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you right now, you won't hear a pastor say this very often, pull out your cell phone, would you? It doesn't matter what kind it is. If it flips, it's okay. Pull out your cell phone. And I want you to know that what you're about to do is totally anonymous. Nobody's going to know whose stuff is whose. And I'm going to ask you to text a short answer, really short answer to that question, to that number on the screen. 406-333-0539. I want you to answer that question right now. Just text in your answer. What is it that Jesus is asking you to leave at the cross? What is it that Jesus is pressing you to die to so that you can live the life that Jesus created you to live? Just text the answer to that question. You might have a couple of answers to that question to the number on the screen. You can answer it right now. And as we're singing, here's what's going to happen. All that sin and all that baggage and all that hurt and all those habits and all those hang-ups and all that stuff that we're leaving at the cross is going to show up on the big screen behind me. And it's all going to be totally anonymous, just this big ball of stuff right from us, right onto that screen, representative of everything we're leaving at the cross today. And you might just text a word or two, might be a few words, my worry, my fear, my anger, my whatever. What is Jesus asking you to leave at the cross? What is it that Jesus is asking you to die to? And we're going to celebrate, we're not celebrating our sin, we're celebrating God and we're celebrating Jesus rising and we're celebrating everything we're leaving at the cross. And we're celebrating the newness of life and the resurrection life because Jesus reigns. Jesus lives. And he did this for you. Let's worship him.